You're listening to Cindy's Voice, a podcast that aims to raise awareness and advocate for the enslaved in an effort to end sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. Together, we're a community that educates, equips, and empowers you to take action against modern-day slavery. Every episode, we bring you inspirational stories of survivors who have been through the ordeal of human trafficking and sexual assault. In addition, we interview key advocates in the anti-trafficking movement and have them share their comments on the detrimental effects of human trafficking in our society. Now, here is your host, Cindy. Welcome to Cindy's Voice Podcast. I am Cindy, your host. Today is our fifth episode, and I can't be happier. The podcast project started, and I had no idea about the impact it was going to have. I am so grateful for all of you who listen to us, who faithfully stream every week. I was told that we have been streamed over 200 times. And you might think, just 200 times? Yes, over 200 times. And I feel very honored and very happy you guys are making this project a success. Thank you so much. I also wanted to share that this amazing news came with what I believe is one of the most wonderful months of my entire life. I celebrated my birthday last Friday, June the 26th. Happy birthday! (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You guys are hilarious. (laughs) All right. Bye to business. I am the kind of person that starts like a whole reflection process in every month, um, in the month that I I was born, like June. (laughs) So um, every year, I can start meditating on what I have done, not on the sense of material accomplishments, but more kind of what I have done to be happier, to feel happier, but consciously trying to be happier. I think I am the happiest I have ever been while I am pursuing a goal. And I also think that I get the blues if I am just living without any goals. I am getting older, yes, I know, (laughs) but I am kind of enjoying it very much, actually. I think that we have to enjoy every process of life. At least I feel I am accomplishing that. (laughs) Since I can remember, I have always get depressed every June. Like, every June. And that is not the case anymore. This year particularly has been spectacular for me. I didn't throw a party, no. We're living in quarantine times. (laughs) But... I had news from projects and personal legal processes that I have been waiting for years, like not months or weeks, years. And I treasure every lesson, every bump on the road because it had made me grow up to who I am today. And today I feel well, I feel strong, I feel alive, I feel good with myself with how I think inside, in my mind. There is no more ghosts up there, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> and there is no more mean echoes whispering the list of my failures, which I used to have for so many years. Since I was a child, I had it like a record oven. And I am very, very grateful for having amazing people close to me that bring me so much joy and happiness, and I don't want to get cheesy, (laughs) I think I already done, (laughs) but I do want to mention a few very significant people, I want to thank them for being in my life. So me, words cannot even start expressing how immensely grateful I am with God and life for giving me the chance of meeting you. 
You are the most wonderful human being I have ever met. You believed in me. You lift me from underground and you have taught me to verbalize my ideas and to feel good and proud of them. To pursue my dreams and that there is not such a thing like a small dreams. And that if you can visualize them, you can make them come true. Thank you for seeing my soul and for becoming my big sister, my mentor. I love you so much. Thank you so much. Carlos, baby, I love you. It's been such a roller coaster, <laughs> but I am glad I am with you and that you are by my side. When I was a little child, I used to play Barbies with my sister and I pretend to marry a prince. Now I know that I am a queen. You make me feel like one. You are an amazing man. We have grown up together and fought so many battles together that it's kind of starting to feel like a century. <laughs> but it's the best century of my life. I will do it again with you. I love you. A lot of you don't know, but I do have two mothers. I am so blessed with that. And I would like to say a few words to both of them. Let me start with my mother, Chris. Uh, God knows only what and how he does what he does, Mom. I am very grateful to be your daughter. I know your fights, and I know mine. And you have proved, uh, proved so many times that my bottles are yours as well. Thank you for that. Thank you for praying for me every night. Thank you for trying to be a good example for me and my brothers. That means the world. And now to my mother, Anna. Mom, I know that you adopt me when I was a child, but I do feel that we adopt each other as mother and child and I am very grateful that from all the women in this world my dad chose you to be my mom. We have cried together, we have grown up together, learned a lot of lessons in life together, we have been to worst and best together, you have been the best mother any child can ask for. Growing up with you has been my honor, my blessing, and I know for sure that you have been a blessing to my siblings um, as well. You put yourself into such a battlefield, being just 19 and having a baby girl and actually taking care of three children is, wow, is such a duty and something that not a lot of people would do. I am beyond happy and grateful of having you in my life. And I will always will. And Cindy, Cindy, you are an amazing person. Thank you so much for all the volunteer work that you do, for being there shoulder to shoulder and for help shaping my ideas into reality. I know they are crazy, but you just you just make them reality. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, now let's get into business. Today we have Chris Bates. He is a former sex trafficking survivor who is in the process of forming and legalizing his own organization. Overcome exploitation, raises community awareness, and assists in creating high-quality survivor-led exit ramp services that assist those in need in rebuilding their lives. Overcome Exploitation is now working on providing community and corporate training programs, which is super amazing. And they also believe that it is time to change the narrative on sexual exploitation. 
So let's welcome Chris. Hi, Chris. Thank you for being here. How are you? Hi, Cindy. I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us about yourself? What is your favorite color, a hobby? Just like a little bit about yourself so we can get to know you. Yeah, so I would say I like the color blue. Um, and I do like, I like to exercise. Hmm, what kind of exercise do you like the most? I like to go to the gym, lift some weights, um, or even go on some walks and stuff. Oh, how have you been doing with uh, COVID-19 in the gym, huh? Yeah, well, they closed the gym down for a little bit, um, but they just recently reopened it this week, so I was happy about that. <laughs> Wonderful. And now, Chris, would you mind to share with us as much of your story as you feel comfortable? I'm Chris. I'm a male survivor of sex trafficking and exploitation. I grew up in a dysfunctional family like many young adults wrapped up in red tape barriers, meeting barriers to acceptance everywhere I went. Being gay didn't help as it further isolated me in high school. Desperate for attention, I created a social media account and caught the attention of many older men who offered to pay me for new pictures. I dropped out of high school and ran away from home, getting my own place, but needing to pay rent with no job skills. A peer that I had met at the club when I was younger suggested for me to place an escort ad, which eventually led to me being exploited by a third-party trafficker who benefited by charging to drive me to hotels to meet men. The big job of healing and repairing the damage done to families and friends began. I became active in the community using my lived experience as a platform to relate to other survivors and help them exit with the same miserable situation that I have gone through. Over time, I discovered that there's a lot of support for cisgender females that have been trafficked, but a big gap for male survivors. Mm -hmm. As a peer outreach specialist, commissioner for the Massachusetts Commission on Unaccompanied Homeless Youth Commission and co-chair of Lux Worcester County Youth Action Board, I took up the torch and worked to shed the light on these inconsistencies. Last year, I founded a grassroots effort starting Overcome Exploitation, a survivor-led fellowship raising awareness and educating communities about the realities and trafficking of male, trans, and non-binary survivors. In January, I collaborated with Pathways for Change and was able to light the Shrewsbury Bridge in Massachusetts for Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Overcome Exploitation had its first successful fundraiser, and as a founder and visionary, I look forward to the growth and inclusion of more male survivors to be a part of Overcome Exploitation. The trafficking of gay men is a very serious issue with its own particular set of difficulties because sexual violence against males is considered taboo in most societies and many male victims are limited by social barriers from reporting their torments. There is some factors that contribute to the lack of reporting, um, including the absence of services available for these men. The victims face unique and distinct health challenges. These challenges include physical trauma from torture and daily mental abuse, which results in a profound depression and anxiety, and some other uh, abuse of um, substance abuse problems or physical and domestic violence, and the exposure of some other diseases um, like HIV. Oh, great. So let's back up a little bit on the story. It's my understanding that everything started when you were a teen. And you run away from your house. But when you run away from your house, you were selling pictures of yourself, uh, sexual pictures, to elder people. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay, so why do you run away? Like, did you have problems with your family uh, regarding this, or did they find out what you were doing and throw you out of the streets? How was that? Yeah, so I grew up in a really rural community, 
Um, and uh, being gay basically meant that I was an outcast. Um, and so I was very scared to tell my family about my identity um, of being a gay male, um, raised in a Catholic Christian family. Um, and so I felt to run away instead of sharing that with them. All right. Okay. I understand. There's a lot of teenagers and children who they don't feel comfortable with sharing that even with the parents. So they actually do the same you did. They prefer to run away because they don't know how to, um, confront that, how to spread the news. And so Chris, when you run away, what do you do? Like, where do you run? Where do you went? Yeah, so I ran away, um, and I stayed. It was really tough because I was 17 years old. So there wasn't really much that DCF in my state could do for me because I was turning 18. So I was at this really, like, hard age for a lot of organizations to help that young person out. Um, and so I went with, like, this temporary, like, foster family um, and it was very far from where I grew up. I didn't feel really comfortable there. Um, so I was able to create a plan to get an apartment through the money that I was like saving through pictures. Um, and I got one, I got an apartment back in my other town I came, came from. So when I got um, my apartment, right. I was, um, I didn't like know how else I didn't have job skills. I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have a car. So I was stuck in this apartment with really no other skills, no resume, nothing. So the only other thing that I knew what to do was to sell these pictures. Um, I didn't really know what else to do besides selling the pictures. And I needed more money to actually pay rent than just selling pictures. So then that's when I placed an S4 ad online and, um, and then more men started to come to my apartment to, to me and exchange sex that way. So at this time I was kind of just like living this like, like uh like fantasy kind of thing and I was going clubbing and I was just I was just kind of not really like on the right track in life and so I was at a club um and I I met a few people at clubs um and and the gay clubs that I would go to um and one of these um peers that I had met there I had shared that I was tired of um, like the men coming to my house, I was getting nervous that there it would bring too much attention to me. I felt very um, unsafe. Um, my house even got vandalized one time. Um, so this um, young, this person, um, when I was younger, just shared to me that it would be a good idea if he were to um, drive me to the hotels and if I could just give him some money. Um, he would take me there so that the people didn't have to come to my house. And so he kind of started like, oh, well, we could, uh, you can give me kind of some money. And then, and then when that, it, then he, when it actually had happened, he wanted half of the money. Um, and then that's when each time we were going to the hotel, it, he became very greedy, very fast. Okay. So he has started asking you more money each time? Yeah. So like then it went from half to 75%, right? I'm going into these hotels selling my like body, right? And like getting depressed every time I'm doing this. And now I'm giving this guy that's sitting in a car that actually really wouldn't like to be realistic. Like if something happened to me, this guy like wasn't my friend. He would just drive away. Like, he wasn't going to come in and save me and what I thought he would do. Um, if, something and so I was you, this if something happens to you and you are in, in the hotel, in the room, and he's in the car, how are you going to immediately communicate with him? And he has to get out of the car and get to your room. But that time, possibly whoever is with you is no longer with you. 
So it's a false. Yeah. It's a false. I have your back. I mean, like I was, I was just so tired at this point of going to the hotels, and this was like a few times a day. Like, like this was this was a really terrible experience for me. Um, and I was going to hotels a few times a day, seven days a week, um, to make money that I thought was to pay my rent. But this person was charging me a lot to just, he was taking my money. Um, so I got really tired of this. Um, and there was a sugar daddy online that, um, was messaging me on Facebook and really gave me this, you know, false promise that, you know, just move in with me. I'll take care of everything. And you can really just leave that. And he was uh, 42 years old and I'm 19 at this point in my journey. Um, and, and I thought like, wow, this is a great idea. I, you know, I did, I wasn't really talking to my family still at this time. And so I, I ended up, I just wanted out. I didn't want to go into hotel rooms anymore. I didn't want to do this anymore. So I only stayed there for about like three months because he physically assaulted me. Um, and I was left outside of the apartment with no sneakers on at midnight. Oh, wow. What did you do? Yeah. Um, I had to, oh, he, um, like had, he wanted me to get off my phone. Um, and he grabbed my phone from my hand, like punched me. He bit me. Um, he took a lamp. He swung a lamp at me like very hard. Um, and I'm not a fighter. I'm very passive. Um, and I just like, I just like got the opportunity to just run. Like I ran out with no sneakers, nothing. That was for me. I felt like that was really the only situation. Like this guy really was angry that night and he had been drinking too. Oh, I see. So alcohol was involved. And yeah, he came, he came home, um, like drunk. And so you run away uh, with anything, and where do you go? So I didn't have anything. So I went right to the um, to this neighbor's. It was it was right next door. So I I knocked on their like door because I honestly I didn't have a phone. I had nothing, um, and um, and she opened the door. I remember she was like just had her pajamas on and she's like, hold on one second. I'm going to, I'm going to get right back. And she quickly let me in. Um, and she was nice. She's like, you know, like call whoever you need to call. Um, and so I, I called the, um, police. And what did they do? Did they bring you to another place or just like, um, did they intervene? Like what happened? Yeah. So they, um, actually, arrested him um and i was able to go into the apartment um while he was being um sentenced and stuff and there was some type of restraining order um but the baltimore police said like like is there any way that you can connect with your family i remember them saying like this is a very like this isn't what you think it is like this is not a good city for you to just like, you need to figure out how to contact someone and really leave, like, and get back to where you're from. All right. And did you came back to your family, or did you decide to go somewhere else instead? Yeah. So um, I was able to contact a domestic violence agency, and I really was um, really nervous. I didn't even have um, any money. Right. Um, I was completely reliant on this sugar daddy. So they paid for a bus for me to leave to go to my, um, I had agreed to go to my mom's house, which was so hard for me because right. Like as a young person, I had the freedom of living on my own. Right. I tasted that freedom, mm -hmm. but even, even with all of what strangers had done to me, all these horrible, terrible things, I still had that taste of freedom of living on my own. And so it was hard to go back to my, my mom's house, especially since she does experience mental health challenges. Um, and I left there for a reason, right? 
Um, so, so it was very hard, but I did, I did move in with her. All right. And when you moved with her, you were telling me before that you actually, um, kept selling, uh, private photos in order to get some money. Yeah. So, you know, I was able to stabilize a little bit, um, at my mom's house and like kind of, you know, not be in, in such survival mode because she had a place and stuff. And, um, but there was still this need, right? She, she still needs a little bit of money to help out with certain things. I still don't have job skills. I was still sending pictures. Um, it really wasn't until I started to receive some form of government benefits um, for my anxiety, for my depression, um, because of all this PTSD that I was experiencing, I had gone a good doctor when I was at my mom's house um, that helped me out kind of with navigating all of those processes. But, um, uh, yeah, I was still – exiting is a process. It didn't – it's not like I just moved into my house, my mom's house, and I'm not a prostituted person anymore. Uh, um, I still needed to meet my needs. Um, took a long time to get those government benefits. Ooh, Chris, and now that you say that, I want to add that the National Human Trafficking Victim Assistance Program provides funding for uh, comprehensive case management services, and that is per capita basis. Includes foreign victims of human trafficking and potential victims seeking the Health and Human Services certification in any part of the country of the United States. And so if somebody is interested in applying, if you are a victim of human trafficking and if you would like to report this person and get um, services from the government, you have to go to www.benefits.org. G-O-V. That's the website when they publish all the benefits for any type of human trafficking um, a victims to get those services. There is a list of the um, eligible um, benefits that you will get in it. There's also a phone number just to contact the, the program and different sections you can navigate the website to kind of learn more about what is the National Human Trafficking Victim Assistance Program. So just that, I just wanted to add that um, uh, for everybody, for a victim, for a survivor, for an advocate, for somebody, a community member that would like to help somebody that needs all these benefits uh, to heal, to keep going with, being normal, trying to get back to a normal, if there's any normal. I don't believe that there is any any normal. That's the new normal for you. Can you walk us through your personal healing journal? Yeah, so it really, I really had to rebuild all of these relationships that I, um, that, and I had to make them meaningful and, and really, instead of, you know, just, really trying to meet my parents where they are. Um, and, and my dad had been absent for a long time because the divorce didn't go well with my mom and him. So he was absent for a long time, not by choice. And I didn't realize that. Um, and so kind of giving my dad a chance to be a dad and instead of just listening to my mom and, and what she thought of him was very helpful. And um, now I'm able to go out with him and hang out with him for a day and um, like, we'll go out to eat, we'll grab pizza. Um, like I saw him last weekend. So that, that's been very helpful for me. And with my mom, I've had to come to terms and accept her mental health challenges. Um, and, and like that hasn't been easy for her through COVID-19. Um, it's, been, it's been a tough year overall for uh, my mom. Um, but I've been able to FaceTime her, video her, and really accept and meet her where she's at. Um, and, like, I'll go uh, – last summer we went to – I would take the train and go to, with her to Boston for the day. We would walk around in the flower gardens together. 
Um, and so this year we weren't, we haven't been able to do that much. Um, but I have gone to visit her. And, and so really a lot of it was accepting my parents where they are. Um, and that, and that is a very tough thing to do. Yes. Yes, definitely. Accepting people how they are is accepting that there's a lot of consequences that we are going to deal, not because we want them, just because who they are and we are close. Well, Chris, what a story of yours. I am very grateful that after your healing process, after everything that you have been working so hard, you decided to do something about it, to help others, you know, people like you, like me, that had been trafficked, that had been exploded, um, into realizing that they can become so much more than just being abused and that we have to switch that uh, thinking, you know, that we have into a more positive um, thing for us, for the community, for our lives, but as uh, as more important for us, for our well-being, for our minds, for how we feel. And so you founded, you started this organization, and um, it started with a dream, with a process, you know, um, overcome exploitation is your baby. So can you please Tell us a little bit how you started Overcome Exploitation. So Overcome Exploitation really is a grassroots effort um, to create a survivor-led fellowship to raise awareness um, and educate communities about the realities of trafficking and that this happens to males too, that this happens to boys too, this happens to transgender folks. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's this, I think that there's this, um, from the work that I have seen and done and worked with survivors, because I've part of my healing process was mending the relationship, the family conflict with my family and, and really getting involved in the community. And now I'm involved in my local community as well as I am on the, uh, on the commission. So I'm at a state level, um, work. Um, but, but really a part of it was that I, I'm finding that there's so much focus on the female survivors and that's great, right? Yes. They're like, there needs to be a lot, there needs to be support. Um, but I, what I'm finding is that a lot of these, the female survivor um, anti-exploitation organizations are primarily focused more on them of the cisgender and, and they paint like a brush, like, Oh, all trans folks, they, they paint a brush that they all want to do sex work, right? And we can't really say that because from my experience, like I said, when I was younger, I met people at the clubs and stuff and, and being in the life, I had all of these friends that were doing a lot of the similar things that I was doing. They were exploiting, they were trafficking, they were going to hotels and I met all of those people. And there's still, some of them are, don't really want to talk to me because they don't know if I'm going to call the cops on them or, and so, but uh, there are some that are still connected to me and they're like, they, they hear what I'm saying. They don't want to do this anymore. And they are trans and they don't want to, they aren't for sex work. They, they, they think it's not work. They think that they're selling their body. Right. Mm -hmm. And they don't like doing it. And so, and so a lot of them connect to me and they kind of feel like I'm a voice for them and it, and it empowers them. I'm working with another male now to work on his comeback story um, and, and helping him connect the dots about how he was exploited. And, and he's been working for me for almost six months now. Um, and he said, this is more effective than therapy to me. Um, he said that last night to me, actually. Um, so, so there are all these people that I do know, and then they know people, right? So I want to kind of pull everybody in that are men, that are trans, that are non-binary, and, and kind of be a voice for them and encourage them to use their voice. Yeah, this needs to be a movement. Exactly. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And it's just that there's so much misconception and human trafficking, more likely sex trafficking, um, that it makes it really, really hard to actually uh, accept 
that the fact that this is affecting every corner of our society. Uh, there is girls, boys, males, and, and females being affected. And every level of society, no matter how much you are earning, no matter what you study or your career is, like it's just affecting all of us. So we need to start educating um, about all these things because if it's affecting us, we need to get over it. We need to stop it. We need to end it. And so, yeah, thank you so much for highlighting that. It's very, very important. I'm a huge advocate for breaking misconceptions, honestly, Chris. So I love when people highlight this exactly. And also, with all these movements, you know, out there um, about human rights violations, I have no idea, no clue why anybody has been, like, trying to do something about human trafficking. It affects a lot of people, but, you know, we are just comfortable enough with highlighting in one a news channel one time and maybe in a month and another one and so like around the country we need to start thinking into actually um, organizing um, something uh, you know as a protest or something a walk we need to do something people need to be more conscious of what he's doing and it's not acceptable that we are being raped violated, exploited, extortion, you know, and it's just basic, you just go to the basic levels, it's a basic human right, you know, um, not being a slave, so yeah, definitely, um, we need to do a lot of work, a lot, a lot of work in so many areas. We just can't continue pretending that boys and males are not victims. We just can't. And Cindy, that's that's really great, and I appreciate that you and that you you recognize that and you validate that because that's important to me. And and you know what I've heard too, um, the men that are being labor exploited, a lot of the times, Cindy. And we know that a lot of people realize that labor exploitation is a lot um, to do with men, and people do recognize that. But a lot of people don't realize that in order to do the labor exploitation, sometimes that labor trafficker makes that man give him oral sex or whatever the case to even start the labor exploitation. So that is exploitation. Yeah, people just don't want to believe it. So as soon as they hear human trafficking and male, they only think about uh, labor. That's it. So changing a little bit the topic, overcome exploitation trains community um, members and also some corporate um, offices and organizations. Can you explain a little bit exactly what a training looks like? I work alongside of a really great um, person, uh, and we're, we're in the process of creating this survivor-led training. We don't want this training to be just based on, um, you know, licensed social workers and stuff. We want it to be incorporating the social worker and a survivor in the training. So I'm working alongside of that and really trying to develop some training modules. Um, so it is a process, right? Um, and we want, and I want to pull in all those other survivors. I don't want this to just be a training through my voice. I want this to be part of the fellowship. Great, great. That sounds great, actually. Very interesting. And what care do survivors need after they are rescued in your point of view, like with your experience, with all this work you have been doing? Yeah, so I, I think that I kind of is going to be on like an individual basis when we consider, you know, rescuing someone. I, I don't know if that's the best way to um, put put it, um, but, you know, there's there's really – each survivor is going to have to, you're going to have to meet them where they're at. Um, they may be in an extremely dangerous situation is what I've seen. 
Um, and then they, there might be kind of that exploitation going on on a college campus, right? So there's a kind of spectrum of exploitation where you have that severe case of exploitation, which which can be very violent, very brutal. And then you have that kind of spectrum to, to the more not so severe case, more selling to, to kind of make money, right, to get through college, right? So there's this kind of spectrum. So kind of meeting a survivor where they're at and, and also recognizing that no one's going to be like, okay, I'm not a prostitute person overnight. It's going to be a process. It's going to be a, it's going to be a, a healing journey. It's, it's going to be um, unique for everybody. So I definitely think like public policy is, definitely um, going to be an important thing, really, right? Advocating at state and federal levels. Um, I think that, like, the bigger picture, there's a thing called the Nordic model, um, which I do support, and that's where the sex buyer is arrested. And I love and, Yeah, and the prostituted exploitation person is um, is given support services, right? Comprehensive support services. It's a really great system. I agree 100% um, with you. They do tackle that real problem, which is the buyers. And I actually am trying to um, have a specialist, um, Counselor from Sweden that um, you know can work us through what the Nordic model is and how it works because this model it was like a uh, a whole situation uh, in her country it was not something that anybody wanted some people opposed it but they started educating the country about it and after they implemented they did change the whole. Uh, business. Um, there is no more business almost anymore. Um, and so it's such a success that I have no idea why we, uh, United States, as a super huge country, we're not uh, following, you know, like everybody, every country should be implementing these this uh, model, the Nordic model. So hopefully, in crossing fingers, we're going to have her um, as a guest. Uh, but in, you know, like in maybe a month or two, but hopefully, hopefully she will be a guest. And to talk about this, maybe we can convince somebody, you know, maybe um, somebody uh, that works with um, the White House to listen to us and start thinking about it, start like working on it. You never know. <laughs> And see, Sydney, it's interesting that you say it's like, why wouldn't it work here, right? When we look at those men that were purchasing me, they were white men. They were yeah. white, rich men. And yeah. so who's leading our government? White, rich men. So that's why we're not passing anything on these things. And that's why survivors, we really need to get together. And like you said, support this, Sydney. Correct. Have you noticed any change um, right now in COVID-19? Have you been um, feeling tempted into going back for whatever reason? You know, like there's a lot of people being affected, even survivors who are not or were not in the life anymore, working a regular uh, job and a decent job. Um, after two, three months of not having anything, not being able to apply for unemployment and the food stamps are not working, you know, the whole COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic have collapsed the whole uh, country. And so they have been uh, forced, per se, they feel forced into like, you know, going back to business. So what is going on in your side of the corner? Yeah, because it, it can be, for me, I experienced like that kind of feeling of being trapped, right? Because I was starting, I, I have been for the last few years going out to the community, going to different meetings and being a part of uh, task force meetings in my city and doing stuff at the state level and um, really just kind of getting out and about and not feeling trapped, right? And then feeling trapped again back in your room. And a lot of survivors that, that are part of the fellowship, they, they 
do feel that way. They feel like they're stuck back at home. Like, um, and it, it can be a very traumatizing feeling. Correct. I have personally learned a lot um, with you. Thank you so much for stopping by. As the last question, what are the impacts on trauma for a survivor? Oh, thank you for asking this. So, yeah, trauma is when basically, um, Sydney, is when the brain cells are damaged, your brain cells are damaged with trauma. Your neurons in your brain, they shrivel up, um, and that inhibits the or prevents the transmission of information in the brain. It really slows down the transmission of endorphins in your brain, and endorphins are what makes your body feel happy and positive. So essentially, the long-term effect would be depression, anxiety, and many other things. But to complicate things, many survivors have PTSD, which ignites the fight-or-flight response. So any small or large problem to a survivor will seem huge. like a huge thing. Yeah. And so going... Um, so they immediately go to fight or flight response. And this, this leads to so much stress on the body physically and mentally. And, and it really is when I'm, I'm working with survivors, it's like, uh, at one time there was at a drop-in center and it was like, uh, there was a female survivor and they missed, there was, we didn't have cheese that day. Right. And it was like a huge problem for them. And if you're not a survivor and you don't have the background information, you're not going to really, like, you're going to try to fix them and really just validating, listening, telling them it's okay that they're upset that there isn't cheese, um, right? Um, so it's, it's the consequences of trauma and what these white, rich sex buyers are supporting uh, is, their, their support, when you buy another human being, you're supporting the trauma of another human being. Yes. And, yes. and people need to get that. Like, this, this is a terrible experience. To, it, it can be a very challenging thing to overcome. Ooh, triggers, the famous triggers. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's so many of them. It just, like, it makes it harder. It just makes it harder, yes. As you keep going in life, sometimes you just um, have these triggers that makes you wonder, you know, you are in rage, your temperature is rising, uh, you have no idea why you are mad, but you are outrageous. And sometimes even when that is going on and you're feeling all these, um, you know, sensations, your brain is like going as fast as, uh, as as it can, and you, on the other hand, are thinking you're thinking, why am I doing this tantrum over such a small thing? Your logical part of the brain sometimes actually, you know, tells you, but it's so hard to calm down those feelings that you know you you just keep going. So it's really really annoying for you to be living in this thing and, you know, so counseling, 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 constantly uh, therapy um, doing the rest of your life. That's pretty much what it is, um, and a, a life of, of counseling, definitely. And I just find that the way that you put it on, it is super simple. It actually nailed it. So thank you very much for 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 that explanation. It's amazing. It's amazing how easy it's for you to put things into perspective, um, and victims and survivors can benefit um, of that definitely. Like it literally is just your neuro trauma shrinks the neurons, and it really does slow that that process down to me in that in your brain and, and like you said it's uh, I'm, I'm glad that you you are even giving me a opportunity to speak on your show like um your podcast i, I appreciate this to me this is a platform for survivors for you for me 
for uh, nonprofits, for allies, for organizations, you know, to just bring awareness. That's all we want to do and just uh, be your platform. So thank you so much for even accepting my invitation. Thank you, Sydney. For, I really do commend you as well for getting, this is the only podcast that I think I've heard of really sharing um, experiences of uh, sex trafficking and, and really that authentic voice. And, and, you, and you get it, Sydney, because you are a survivor. So doing this podcast, I, you know, it was, this is actually um, one of my first podcasts I've done. So I do feel, I feel comfortable talking to you just because you are a survivor too, Sydney. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Chris, very much. Well, that's all for today's episode of Cindy's Voice. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Chris Bates for joining us today, for sharing his story. I'm sure that we all have learned something positive about it and that we could use it either to help somebody or to prevent somebody bad to happen to ourselves. So join us again next week when we talk to Mo McCallaghan. She is an investigator at Christian Bird's Virginia Police Department. She works Internet Crimes Against Children and she promotes education on Internet safety for kids. She is also a new member of Save Surfing, which is a nonprofit. This organization created by law enforcement professionals back in 1998 and dedicated not only to protect youth but from those who will do them hard but proactively educating them in the safe and responsible use of today's ever-changing technology. So that is what you can expect from us next week. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify. Oh, 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 by the way, we just got a notification. You can start streaming us from iHeartRadio. Oh, my God. But also from Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcast, Overcast, Podcast, Radio Public, Spotify, iTunes, so you have a lot of platforms to choose from. <laughs> We're very proud of being able to offer you that. So thank you so much for listening to the Cindy's Voice podcast. I hope that you have a great week. Thanks for joining us this week on Cindy's Voice. If you like what you're listening to, like our YouTube channel, Cindy's Voice Podcast, and give us a five-star review. This means everything to us. Follow us on Instagram at Cindy V. Rivero to receive updates on our latest episode. See you in our next episode. Till then, have a great week.